Good morning, Fairhill Church. All right, so uh, kids who are uh, K through first and pre-K, four through six-ish, uh, can head out to do their, their lesson. And the rest of us, we will be looking uh, once again at the book of John. All right. Now today, we are looking at the second part of the Lazarus story, uh, talking about the, the death and ultimate resurrection of Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary. Now, we ended our last uh, Sunday with Lazarus having died, and Jesus actually deliberately not going to him before his death. Out of love, he did not go to Lazarus in his illness, but actually waited until he had died. This intentional and sovereign care that uh, looks so different than what we'd expect, but he promised that it would be for, his, for the glory of his God, for glory of himself as God, uh, and that many may believe. All right. So, that's what we saw last time. This time, what are we seeing? We are seeing Jesus uh, enter into the lives of these people that he has called to suffer, that he's allowed to suffer. And we ask the question, okay, what does Jesus do as suffering people come to him, as people who are grieved and broken, as even uh, his friend Lazarus is in the tomb? Now, we're going to see that Jesus doesn't have a one-size-fits-all response to suffering. He addresses each of them uh, uniquely and according to their need. And so we're going to see uh, that to Martha, he comes as a challenging teacher, convicting her and pushing her to understand the Savior more. To Mary, he comes as this one filled with emotion and love, and to Lazarus, he comes as the great victorious resurrector. And as we look at the story, we're going to ask ourselves, okay, uh, how do I go to Jesus? And who do I expect to find when I go to him in my suffering and in my sorrow? With the hope that we might uh, move more quickly to him. We might know him in our suffering and in our pain. And ultimately be ready to see him as the resurrection and the life, the one who can bring life out of death. So with that, let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we get to witness him as he ministers to those who are mourning and grieving and, and suffering Lord, we ask that we might learn how to run to Jesus. We might know him as he is. We might change the way that we approach him and the, the things we expect from him. Lord, would you draw our hearts towards Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. All right, so we're going to begin with Jesus approaching Martha as this challenging teacher, starting at chapter 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, 
he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Jesus arrives on the scene in Bethany, a few miles from Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of the religious leaders who are trying to kill him. Remember last week we saw the disciples resign themselves to death, that if they should go to Bethany, uh, they know how close they are to the danger that, and to the, the persecution that Jesus is under. And so he goes, Jesus goes into, into the danger to meet Martha and Mary, and on all accounts it seems he is late. He is four days late. He, Lazarus is already in the tomb, and the people are grieving. Now they take their grief seriously. Some of these people who surrounded Mary and Martha, they would be professional mourners, hired to mourn and to weep and to wail. And this is a prominent family, and the town would have come out and surrounded these two sisters as they grieved the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. All right. These are real people, and this is a real person, Martha. Right. Martha, Martha is generally kind of the, from the few accounts we get of her, a type A, get it done, no-nonsense kind of woman. We best know her from her story where, uh, where Martha gets frustrated at Jesus for not rebuking her sister. Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's doing all the housework and is upset that Jesus doesn't force Mary to go work and help her. And Jesus instead rebukes Martha and says that, that Mary has taken the better position. He will not take it from her. Now this time, Martha does go first. She is the first before Jesus, but she doesn't fall at Jesus' feet. What does she? She brings this confession and her understanding of what could have happened or should have happened. And Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Right. What is she confessing? Now she has confidence that, what? If Jesus had come earlier, he could have done something. She believes that he could pray to God and, and God would have listened 
that Jesus was a, a great healer and really is, does have this special relationship with God. And she's also saying that you know, she, she still believes that. She still believes that the special connection was there, that he, he is listened to by God. And it's just regrettable that he hadn't come sooner to put that into practice. If only he'd been there to pray for her brother at the right time and place. Right. So notice, Martha doesn't come weeping. She comes with, uh, with a confession of truth and the things that she knows and remind her of some of the true things. But we're going to see that she doesn't actually know Jesus as she should. She's not grasping the whole situation. And so, uh, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. All right, what does this sound like? It sounds a little bit like a religious platitude. Like it's very general, like, oh, like, don't worry, there's a, there's a resurrection to come. The equivalent of, like, you'll see him in heaven one day. Or is that what Jesus is saying? Are these cold theological truths from a dead-hearted theologian? Probably not. All right, have you ever, have you ever been suffering and, and received this kind of thing? These kind of annoyingly canned words of comfort. Maybe you've given them when they haven't been received very well. Right, is that all Jesus has to, come, has to offer? Right, I hope we know our, our Jesus better than that, but we'd say, no, he's not doing that. What is he doing? He's being vague. Intentionally vague. Deliberately vague. As a test when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, does she hear it as a, a reality, true in Jesus, or just as something that is, uh, that is far off, impersonal, and not really that exciting? Which side is she going to fall on? How is she going to receive Jesus as he says these words? Verse 24, Martha said to her, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. All right. She failed the test. She took it as she was not supposed to, as this ho-hum reality that, yes, 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 we believe in the resurrection. Yes, yes, I know that we don't die forever. Yes, I know that in the future, in the last days, there will be comfort, but that, nothing for today. Now, why is that such a problem? Because she's missing who she actually is talking to. The reality of, of Jesus before her, does she really have faith to understand who he is? And so Jesus, verse 25, says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is pushing her to understand what? Who Jesus is. Who is talking to you? Who has come to meet you in your hour of darkness 
And it is not a healer. It's not someone who simply is good enough for God to listen to him. To offer kind of vague truths for future promises. No, this is the resurrection on the last day. All right, it, who's going to do that? Who's going to bring everyone back to life? Is Jesus, this guy, talking to you? He's the one who does the resurrection. Actually, he, he is the resurrection and the life in the last day. That Jesus is the sustainer of life. He is the giver of life. He is the purpose of life. The source and fountainhead of all life. And that everyone only lives because they are, in some sense, connected to this one who is giving them life. Those who live in Christ cannot die because they have found their life in Christ. They have believed in the one who is the resurrection and the life. And so the question becomes, does Martha really believe in him? That these would be her words before him. That this is how she would understand that her brother is going to rise again from the dead. And we ask the second question, okay, you. Do you undersell Jesus in the midst of your suffering? Is he someone who, who maybe could work sometimes, but oftentimes it's too late? Maybe he's failed. Maybe the very circumstances you're in are evidence that he, he didn't show up. He wasn't who he was supposed to be. Or now that you're in the mess, hey, he can't really, he can't really fix it. The damage is done. All right, do we undersell the fact that we have a great Savior who says that he is the resurrection and life to us? That those who live and believe in him, they cannot die. Do you, do you really believe that in being connected to Jesus, you have this one who is able to do more than you ask or imagine? Do you think that he wants to help you here and now? That you're united to him for some purpose and some reason? All right, let's be careful here, though. All right. If a loved one dies, are we, going, are we looking for a miracle of resurrection? When bad things happen, are you looking for miracles? Is that, is that, our, is that our, the source of all of our hope? I think we have to be careful here because in one sense, Jesus has already said, like, this is a special time. I'm here to, to do works in the light that cannot be done at any other time. And my time here is to prove who I am. So it's kind of this, like base of miracles and clear examples of resurrection to that everyone can build their faith on for 
for the rest of history. And you could say, okay, that's, that's a special time, so maybe you shouldn't ask that much. And I'd say in one sense, our main hope is not miracles. But in another sense, here and now, like, when we pray, we are praying to a real living Christ who can do more than we understand. And if he can turn death into life, he can surely turn suffering into glory and meaningless into purpose. And he can do far more than, than we offer often in our, in our unbelief or in our doubt or in our practicality really expect from him. We don't see him as he is. And so Jesus challenges all of that. He comes as our great teacher. In your suffering, in your suffering, are you willing to be challenged to, to see Jesus as bigger than you, you think he is and able to do more? What have you resigned before God to, to, that he is powerless, that he can't do anything, he's not going to do anything? Thankfully, Jesus comes to, to remind us of who he is and to call us back to himself. And what does Martha say? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. All right. She corrects herself. Right? You're not just someone who, who God listens to. You are the Son of God. You are the one who's coming to bring all of life, and I, I submit to a, a new confession, a bigger confession, a fuller confession, one that receives you as you are. All right. The person who thinks they know does not know enough. And if in your suffering you feel like, uh, I, I already know Jesus, all right, maybe that, that needs to expand Maybe he's challenging what you really know versus what you, what you think you know. Now, the second interaction. We're moving from Martha's, Martha to Mary, her sister. And who does Jesus come to before Mary? He comes as uh, this one filled with emotion and love. And I know that's kind of vague, but it's intentionally vague, so we can look at this. Verse 28. When she, Martha, said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary, she, hear, she hears that Jesus has come. And notice Martha says that the teacher has come because she has just been taught. But Mary actually is not going to find a teacher so much. And she rushes to Jesus and it's supposed that she might be rushing to the tomb of her brother. 
Where else would she have to go? And I think there's, there's, a, there's a beautiful picture here of you have different places you can run to in your sorrow. And the Jews, they think, well, what does she have but run to the source of her sorrow, the source of her suffering, and just, just weep before it? And that's often what we like to do in our suffering, right? We run to it and we weep before it. We fixate on the, the source of our sorrow and our suffering. But what does Mary do? She, she doesn't run back to the tomb. She runs to her Lord. And she throws herself at his feet. Now this is a place where Mary finds herself often. Right? She sits at the feet of Jesus. She sat at the foot of Jesus. She sat there before suffering, when life was good, and now she knows where to go in her sorrow. And so many of you are not suffering right now. You should still be at the feet of Jesus. Learn to get at the feet of Jesus so that when you, you are suffering, when you are weeping, when you are mourning, you are used to going there. You are used to being there. And now Mary has, has gone to him. But what does she say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. All right. We're not going to glorify Mary. All right. Just like we're not going to disparage Martha. Actually, Martha came with a, a confession. A reminder of what was true. It wasn't full. But Mary, Mary has the same misconception. You didn't come. If only you had, but you didn't. And implied is that, like, there's not much you can do now, but I'm glad you're here. So she is weeping at the feet of Jesus. She's not, she doesn't need to be taught. She hasn't said anything, actually. And so, how does Jesus respond to this? How do you expect Jesus to respond to this? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. All right. Jesus sees Mary weeping at his feet. He sees the Jews weeping. And he was, our text here says, deeply moved. All right, I don't usually do this. You know this. I don't like talking about words. But in most Bibles, there's a little, a little letter above the greatly, deeply moved. And it's, it's the translator's admitting that they did something shady here. <laughs> and if you look down, what does it say? It says, uh, in the ESV at least, it says, well, it also could be indignant. Indignant. And so, okay, we have to look at the word here. All right, this word comes from a kind of particular context. To snort with anger as of horses. All right, what did he do? He went, 
All right, what does that imply? Anger. Like, like, he's going <laughs> to... I've always seen, I haven't seen many people do that, except for my high school chemistry coach whenever the soccer team lost. The whole next day, he... You know, <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> it made us all do better at chemistry. But all right. All right. It's a, it's a very visual word. And contained in it is, are the root words for anger, all kinds of things. And we have to admit, deeply moved is probably not adequate. And, and it's vague when it shouldn't be vague. Because that says that means deeply moved. In what, in what direction? In the sad direction? In the happy direction? Like, the word is, is anger. Why would Jesus get angry? Well, okay, he is first angry at at sin and sickness and darkness and death. And I think we we have to have that dimension to Jesus. The angry Jesus who hates these things. Right, we are called to hate sin and to despise it. And here's Jesus, like he, he hates what he sees. He hates that the, the one he loved is weeping on his feet, that this, this one he loved is in the tomb. But if he is angry with sin and darkness and death, what also gets lumped in there? is all of the unbelief surrounding the situation. He's also angry that, that no one has any hope. That no one has faith that, God, that Jesus is really going to do anything. Everyone's saying, well, if, if, well, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, implying it's too late. And Martha's doing the same thing. Like, I am the resurrection and the life. We can do more than weep now that I'm here. And so he's, he's angry with the, the lack of faith that is around him. On the denial of who he is and what he can do. Do you expect Jesus to be upset with our unbelief? angered that we're like not receiving him as he is. I feel like often we get so lost in our emotions that we forget like what is what does Jesus call us to in our emotions? How are we called to respond to Jesus in faith? How does Jesus feel about our hopelessness? Now Jesus could just simply remain there. Uh, but he doesn't, right? He is both angry and he is filled with sorrow. Verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. 
And there's this, this beautiful movement that Jesus could have stayed angry, but out of great compassion and love for even the unbeliever, even the one who is rejecting him, and even the unfaithful, he, he weeps for them. He cries alongside them. He both hates the sin, but he also grieves the, the way that it blinds us, the, blind, the way it keeps us from him, the way that it prevents us from, from trusting him to make it right. And that's actually how often Jesus responds. Anger and, and sorrow go hand in hand. Even as he is rebuking the city of Jerusalem, what is he doing? He's, he's weeping. I, I hate that you are under judgment because you've rejected me. What I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have it. And I'm angered and I'm sorrowed for what that means for you. Do we have a Savior who does both? Do you understand Jesus is both? Now, thankfully, he's not just all angry, or else we'd all be destroyed. But he's also not this wallowing in sorrow and pity. He is the one who is angry at the way it is, feels for the people under it, and who does something about it. He fixes it. Now, how do the Jews respond to, to all of this going on in Jesus before him? So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Right. His anger and his sorrow together, his weeping and his snorting all come together like, this is love. He loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. What do these guys see? Negligence? Failure? And there, there's two ways the logic could go. Wow, Jesus can do all of these miracles. He really dropped the ball on this one. Or you could say... Jesus can do all of these miracles. Let's see what he's going to do next. He did one miracle, but let's see if he can do a greater miracle. Let's see if he can resurrect the dead. Let's see what he does now. He loves him so, he's probably going to do something amazing. And actually, the word is used again. When Jesus hears this, he's not deeply moved, he's angered. He's indignant. He snorts again. He does the same thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? In all of this, do you really think I don't care? That this was love and then inaction? All right. There was a rebuke for us in that. When you see suffering... Do you see Jesus' failure? 
Do you see Jesus neglecting you, passing you by, deciding not to work, in all of his sovereign power, doing nothing? All right, that is, that is faithlessness, that is missing who Jesus is, that is missing the one who is the resurrection and the life, that is missing the one who is powerful and sovereign, who cares about us, and who will weep even over sinners, who could just stay angry but chooses to be angry and compassionately sorrowful for us. He's going to do something. He does things. He knows what he's doing. He loves us. He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary and he loves Martha. And even though everyone around him is unbelieving, Everyone is unfaithful. He is faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Let's keep going. All right, so we have the resurrection of the life, the teacher. We have this angry, sorrow-filled lover of sinners, filled with compassion. And now we're going to get our Savior, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again because of the response of the Jews, uh, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. All right, is this unbelief like rearing its head again? That's where like, we're taught and we, we get a little bit and then we are actually called to believe and we fail again and what does Jesus have to do? Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? All right, stop. Trust me to actually do something. You might actually see the glory of God. No, they, they do. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So Lazarus, Lazarus has died. Jesus has let him die so that he might do this, so that he might pray before them, so, they, so that the, the people around him and Mary and Martha, professional mourners and people of the town, so they might get to witness Jesus before his father. And get a taste of, like, who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He has the, the ability to go before the Father, and he already knows that the things he's asking for will be, will be granted to him. He has set up this situation to be a, a spectacle for the people to see that they might believe. And this is bigger than Lazarus being healed when he was sick 
or being left to die. This is bigger than Mary and Martha not having to weep. There's more at stake here. The glory of God. Faith in Christ. Proving the resurrection. And the thing we have to ask is, are we, are we willing to be part of that larger story? Are we willing to let, to, to endure suffering? And to be left for a time. To be left in death that he might turn death into life. To be left in our suffering to show that he can work it to his glory and to our good. We have to resign to our fact that like, Jesus has bigger agendas than making sure that we don't suffer. He has bigger purposes than just blessing his people. He is putting himself on display as the savior of the world and everyone needs to see it. Are you willing to be a spectacle of Jesus' grace and his power and his salvation? When he has said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out with hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Lazarus, he, he hears the voice of his shepherd and the sheep know his voice and come to him. And Lazarus comes out of death into life, following his Savior. And it, it, all comes, it all comes to the climax here that Jesus didn't just say he was the resurrection and the life. And so don't feel sad. Like, no, he is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus gets mad at people for, for weeping and their hopelessness, not because he's a jerk, but because it's not reality. They weren't seeing Jesus, and this is Jesus. He is the one who brings life out of death. All these people who are doubting his love, like, this is his love. He brings real comfort. He really destroys death and darkness and evil and sin. And he does it even, even at the cost of himself. Jesus does this, and this is one of the main reasons he is crucified. They hate, they hate someone who could do this because they know he is Lord. And so Jesus, Jesus will be crucified and put in his own tomb. The stone will be rolled in front of his tomb. The people will be weeping over his death. And yet he will resurrect in glory. Right? This is just, this is just a foretaste 
of what Jesus can do for his people because he did it already. He already did it himself. He is the resurrection and life. He is the resurrected one. He is alive after death. He can. And he will bring us through death into life, through suffering into rejoicing. Blessed are the mourning, for they shall be comforted. Weeping will be turned into laughter, sorrow into joy. And we have that Savior both now and in the last day. Let us go with him. Let us know him. Let us expect great things of him. Let us expect his love. Let's pray. Father, we we confess that suffering and sorrow and hardness blinds us to who you are. And Father, we are those who have uh, often little faith. So would you call us back to yourself? Would we fix our eyes upon you? Would we trust in your love? Would we care about the ways we are grieving you and upsetting you for our faithlessness? And Father, we pray that you would send Jesus, that he would continue to work, not that we might have dead truths that we slap upon our sorrows, but that we would have true joy that we are united to the one who is life and who is resurrection and who is full of love for broken and often faithless sinners. Father, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Would you give us greater faith in our Savior? And would you help us to run quickly to him, knowing that he will do something, we pray in Christ's name.